as you can take in 45 minutes. So, um, you might feel overwhelmed, but that's the point. And uh, there's going to be cell notes in the hallway if you decide you'd like to record, you have some of these, um, these notes and just go ahead and pick one out whether you're a cell leader or not. Okay. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that this message about our Lord Jesus Christ would have power and impact upon every ear, every eye, every fiber of our being. God, that you drop your anointing upon this word and upon us, Lord, to receive your word for what it is, the very words of God. We give you glory and honor, and we ask that this blessing be upon us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus Christ. The very words can evoke um, several responses. One of adoration and worship from uh, his followers and those of us that have gotten to be transformed by him. Others, uh, it's a, a favorite swear word, favorite slang, favorite byword. It's amazing. I, I can go to some meetings or meeting some people, and and I got one guy in mind right away when he sees me. He says, he says, Jesus Christ as a byword. And I said, well, you know, and I know he does that just to see if he can get something from me, a reaction from me. It evokes anger, evokes praise, evokes worship. Christ is not his last name. I want to let you know that. Jesus' last name is not the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus of Nazareth. Yeshua in Aramaic, Hashua in Hebrew, Hashua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah. We're going to unfold who Jesus is today. And I want to start off with the historical Jesus of Nazareth. Now, the world would say, well, what do you got outside of the Bible for the history of Jesus. Well, I can tell you from the Babylonian Talmud, the Hebrew Talmud, the Roman historians, Jewish historians, and even pagan writers such as Pliny and others have all attested the fact that Jesus Christ walked the earth. Not only that, in their writings in Josephus, they all attest to things like death, burial, and resurrection. Two uh, pagan writers attested to the fact that there was darkness that whole day. As a matter of fact, if you exclude the Gospels and just went on Roman, pagan, and Jewish history, you could prove who Jesus Christ was. And from very few manuscripts of very recent dates. Yet nobody in, in our intellectual community will say, would ever question the authority of the Roman, pagan, or Jewish writings, the Babylonian Talmud, the Talmud itself. They're not in question. However, when you bring up the Gospels as a viable witness, you have four testimonies each gospel is backed up by 8,000 manuscripts and an additional 25,000 witnesses. So you have 33,000 manuscripts to back up the authority of the four gospels, which gives us the basic history and words of Jesus. Now how credible is that? There is a movement in the last hundred years, and before this, before the hundred years ago, nobody ever questioned that Jesus Christ existed. But in the last hundred years, we've gotten really smart. <laughs> Pseudo-intellects. People who are uh, legends in their own mind. Because they stand in the halls of USC or 
Harvard or Yale or whatever, and they decide, well, well, let's take another look at Jesus. So the historical Jesus that they're looking at, they're looking for a Jesus without any miracles, without any supernatural. Matter of fact, the, have you heard of the Jesus Seminar? 200 scholars world uh, nationwide to come together to, to uh, determine which of the words of Jesus that are legitimate and which are not. The philosophy and criteria for their to distinct the distinct uh, uh, focus is this: that history records only what is natural and excludes everything that is supernatural. And I think that is so ridiculous. You cannot divide man, humanity, from the natural and the supernatural because. It's all a part of history, and I don't care how you cut it. And you know the uh, Jesus Seminary, what they use? They use the four Gospels. So, um, Jesus is the, the God-man. Jesus of Nazareth. It's called the Christ. The word Christ, Christos, means the anointed one and particularly anointed to fulfill the prophecies concerning the office of what the Jews came to know as the Messiah. If you look up the word Messiah in the Old Testament, you're not going to find the word Messiah or the word Christ. But you will find the word Meshach, anointed. It's the anointed one. And Jesus came as anointed to fulfill all the scriptures said about him. Now, there's over 40 major scriptures that Jesus fulfilled, and a, and a lot of them, he couldn't help it. I mean, when he says, out of Egypt I have called my son, he was just a, a baby. When it says that he was born of a virgin, that's kind of out of his league. You, you know, he has no, no say over that. There are many prophecies that he could not orchestrate to fulfill. They just were fulfilled. So you say, what are the odds of that? I'm not going to say one to the ten with a billion zeros behind it. It's just flat out impossible. Jesus is the God-man. Colossians 2 verse 9 says this, that the fullness of deity of God, omnipresent, omnipotent, omniscient God, eternal, self-existent God, transcendent, eminent God, dwelt in bodily form in the person of Jesus Christ. From that verse, we're going to, I'm going to give you ten proofs of the deity of Christ, or Christ being God, in bodily form. Ten. And then I'm going to give you four proofs of his humanity. Why do I only give you four? Because there's not a fifth one. So, anyway. Uh, that's pretty good, huh? I give you four because there's not a fifth. First of all, his pre-existence. John chapter 1, verse 1 through 18, correlating with Genesis chapter 1. John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I had some friends knock at the door. And they said, we, they said we're here to distribute some literature. And I said, can we talk about Jesus? Yes, let's talk about Jesus. And I went to this verse, and they said, well, Jesus was a God. And I said, okay, you win. You win. Let's, you, you win. Jesus is a God. So just how many gods do you have? And the girl was taken back, and she says, well, you know, it's like the sun God, the moon God, or the Aztecs. I said, you have them? I said, there's only one God and either Jesus is 
in essence, God, or you can't say he's a God because there's no other gods other than the Lord God. So have it your way or not, comes out that you have, shall have no other gods before him. But John chapter 1, verse 1 through 18, clearly expresses his preeminence as the word. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through 17, which I want to turn to, says this. And you can just write it, write it down and try to keep up with me like you, as much as you can, but i got to go. <laughs> he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things are laminate, right? All things hold together. He's the super glue of the universe. He's what holds the atoms together. If Jesus Christ ceased to be who he is, which is impossible, everything would vaporize. He holds creation together. So it's proved by his pre-existence. Secondly, secondly, it's proved by Christophanies. Christophanies are manifestations of Christ in the Old Testament. You have Jesus who, uh, as the angel, wrestled with Jacob in Genesis 32. And Jacob says, what's your name? I can't, I'm not going to tell you my name because it's not revealed yet. And then after he wrestled with the Lord, he says he'd seen God face to face. You have the angel of the Lord, that the commander of the Lord's army, that Joshua said, are you on our side? He says, I'm not on your side or anybody's side. And Joshua knew that it was the Lord, the commander of the Lord's army, Christophany. You have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel chapter 3. Fourth was like a son of God in the flames. A manifestation of Christ was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So Christophanies throughout the Old Testament point to the deity of Jesus. Three, fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies is humanly impossible to fulfill the prophecies that are, are equated with Christ. It's, it's humanly impossible. Therefore, because of that, it proves his deity. Only God can do that. Only God can be that. Number four, worship. Jesus received worship. God the Father provided worship for him. It says in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 through 8, but one of those verses says that, let all the angels of God worship him. The, when, when you receive worship, and worship is given to you, what happens if you're not God? You should be stoned. You should be killed. You're, you become an idol, Right? So when Jesus received worship, he received the, the, the very um, acknowledgement of his person. What did Thomas say? He fell down and said, my Lord and my God. In Matthew chapter 28, when he appeared to the disciples, some worshipped, some doubted. Jesus received worship. Revelation chapter 5 is all about the worship of Christ. So Jesus, because of worship, is, his deity is proven. Number four, five. His virgin birth. I tell you what. I, I trust that this congregation is, is not going to reflect this statistic because this one upsets me. 41% of born-again Christians say that the virgin birth is not a reality. 
It never happened. Now, can I get 100% no on that? No. Okay. Everybody's with me? Everybody believes in the virgin birth? Yes. Thank you. Because the, without the virgin birth, you have no sinless life. And without the sinless life, you have no cross. And without the cross, no death, burial, and absolutely no resurrection. Amen. So you cannot have Christianity without the virgin birth. You cannot have Christianity without the sinless life of Christ. You cannot exclude any fragment of the life of Christ and say you're a Christian. You're not. If you say, Islam says, Jesus never died on a cross. Jesus never was buried. He just ascended into heaven. No. You, you can't have Christians say, I believe in the blood of Jesus, but I cannot believe that he was born of a virgin, such as Isaiah 7, 14, and Matthew 20, verse, chapter 1, verse 21 22 tells us. And yet we're going to get that a lot of that in our day and age. You say, well, the virgin birth is not reasonable. No, because it's miraculous. Since when do miracles have to line up with the reasonable? Miracles, by definition, are God's intervention into the affairs of man that man cannot do himself. I ain't got to find another church to preach this in because I, I want to preach this twice today. I, I'm excited. Oh, Anyway, here we go. Number six, by his sinless, perfect life. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us that he was sinless. Hebrews 7.25 through 28 tells us that Jesus Christ led, led a sinless, perfect life. When I think of sin, and I, of course we, we gravitate towards the first Adam. The first Adam sinned under perfect conditions. Can you imagine? Oh, I think I have it rough here in the garden. Not enough maybe fruit to eat and, you know, animals to pet and... I mean, what did Adam have at rough? I mean, he was in the Garden of Eden that we all long to be in, paradise. And he sinned under the most perfect conditions. Perfect, perfect. Jesus came as the second Adam and overcame Satan under the worst conditions. You got the worst time, crucifixion, you got the uh, temptation of Christ, where temperatures can exceed 120. You got fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, being out in the wilderness with no pillow, no covering, and you got the worst conditions imaginable. And Jesus came out righteous. I mean, the second Adam is far superior to the first Adam in every way. Number seven, by his ability to receive and answer prayer. John chapter 14, verse 14, Jesus said, If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. No human being can ask or receive prayer and answer prayer. I mean, if Jesus was not God, he would, he would certainly be lying to say, Okay, well, just pray to me, and I'll answer your prayer. We don't pray to people. Necromancy is praying to the dead. We don't pray to the dead. We don't pray to angels. We don't pray to spirits. We don't pray to the departed spirits on the left or the right. We don't pray to anyone but God himself. And Jesus said, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. 
That means he's saying, I am God here in the flesh to answer your prayers. And if you ask me anything, I will certainly do it that the Father might be glorified. That's proof. Now, the Jews believe that Jesus was a, a good prophet and teacher. In fact, when you examine the, 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 the teachings of Jesus, he is either who he says he is as God and man, or he's the worst prophet, false prophet, liar, deceiver, who's deceived over a few billion people over a period of 2,000 years. I mean, he either is completely or he isn't at all. You have no middle road choice. Thank you. I'll take that. Number eight, his direct claims. In John chapter 11, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? I thought God was the resurrection and the life. He is. And Jesus was not afraid to state that. I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the living water that you'll never thirst again. I am He. Hayah, I am. What's so significant about Hayah? It goes back to Exodus 3.14 where Moses said to God, who shall I say is sending me? And he says, tell them that Hayah is sending you. I am that I am. Jesus used that name. Hayah. John the Baptist came to prepare the way of who? Yahweh. Everyone who calls upon the name of Yahweh, Yahweh, shall be saved. I mean, Jesus is all of this. Who raised Jesus from the dead? You know, the Father did, right? In John 2.19, Jesus said, You destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. So Jesus Christ rose himself up. And Romans and First Peter both say, By the Spirit, capital S, Jesus was raised from the dead. It was the work of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Number nine, by his resurrection and ascension. Romans chapter one, verse one through four. Paul, servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart by the, for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the Son of God by the, his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him and for his name's sake we receive grace and apostleship to call people from among the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. According to his humanity, that's a very important statement because Paul is affirming his humanity. That Jesus is, is also declared by the, his resurrection that he is the Son of God. You know, um, this, the term Son of God was directly related to the Davidic kingdom. Christ, Son of God. And... Jesus claimed these titles to be at the right hand of the Father. But Jesus' favorite uh, title for himself was Son of Man, 
which did not have any reference to humanity because it was in direct reference to Daniel 7, 13 and 14, where the Son of Man came to the Ancient of Days and sat at the right hand of the, of the Ancient of Days. And Jesus said at his trial, Yes, I am the Son of Man, and you will see me coming in clouds, uh, from clouds of, of heaven, seated at the right hand of, of God. Well, Son of Man, it was the exalted title that Daniel prophesied for the Messiah. It was Jesus' favorite title for himself. Because the Jews knew that the Son of Man would be coming back again, seated at the right hand of the throne of God, claiming to be equal with God. By number 10, by the claims of the apostles. John chapter 20, verse 28, Thomas says, My Lord and my God. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 11. In that passage, Paul says, he did not think equality with God is something to be grasped. But as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient even to the death on the cross. We got Peter, First Peter and Second Peter, and, and Paul and Titus, and, and several of the passages, which simply say this phrase, our, sa- our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Repeated many times through the epistles. So those are ten proofs of His deity. Now, four proofs of His humanity... Number one, those who knew him and walked with him testified to his humanity. Now, one of the reasons that the New Testament was written was because the false teaching started creeping into the church. And, you know, when you have false teaching, you have to have a standard against the false teaching. Well, John wrote his gospel in about 97, 98 A.D., the last book written. And there was a person in his town named Serenthus who believed that Jesus was spirit and light and never came to earth as humanity and simply uh, visited us and we called him Jesus Christ. John was furious with this, uh, responded with the Gospel of John, responded with 1st and 2nd, 3rd John. And uh, it's reported that one time the old apostle was in a public bathhouse and Serenthus was there and he wouldn't share any space with him, cried out, heretic, heretic, get this heretic out of the bathroom. And, uh, and here's what John said, 1st John chapter 1. Opening verses. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared that we have seen it and testified to it and we proclaim it to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we write this to make our joy complete. In chapter 4, verse 1. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And we're not short on false prophets today. Okay? This is how we can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Wonderful. You see, all Christianity 
depends on the physical body of Christ. Why? Because blood is physical. Why did Jesus have to come in the first place? Couldn't he just send a, a, you know, a couple of gallons of blood from heaven? No, Jesus had to come in a physical body for 33 years, go through the plan of God, be the sacrificial lamb, pour out the blood onto the earth to provide for our sin. Now, there's some teachings going around today. One is this, that Jesus, when he did that, died spiritually to pay, pay for our sin. I'll tell you what, this is heresy in the bo- in the, that's going through the body for the last 30 years. And it goes like this. Jesus my, uh, heard the words, said the words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then the Father turned his back on Jesus. And Jesus died spiritually. And then having done that, went to the heart of the earth. And just like Jonah in Jonah chapter 2 was in hell and had to be born again by the voice of God and come and raised from the dead. Well, a couple of things wrong with that. Number one is that our salvation is not born in hell. It's born in the cross. Number two, Jesus said it is finished and he wasn't kidding. He was serious when he said, it is finished. And he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Means the Father was not separated from him. He was still talking to the Father the whole time. I think the reason that he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is that he was quoting the entire Psalm 22. And quoting it from beginning to end. To, to outline the whole crucifixion and the resurrection. That's how it begins. And in his humanity, you know he is feeling forsaken. How are we doing? Okay. Number two, recorded history. You say, okay, I can't accept the Gospels, uh, you know, because it just uh, has too much spiritual stuff in it. Well, that's fine, but with the Gospels, the pagan writers, Roman writers, Jewish writers, Talmuds, Babylonian Talmuds, the teachings of Jesus' day all acknowledge the physical Jesus. No doubt about it. It's just that in the last hundred years we decided we we're going to get really smart and to see if there's a historical Jesus. So, you know, books come out. And uh, and you cannot separate the humanity and deity of Jesus and and put a profile on him that that'll sell a billion books. You know, um, it's part of the deception of our times. Next, the death of Christ is recorded as physical. Colossians chapter 1.22 says, By his physical death on the cross. word physical is put in there. Number four, his resurrection and ascension were physical. And he demanded that they handled him. He ate with them, touched him. And there was a portion where he says... He says, see, there's, I'm not a ghost as you see. Come here and handle me and, and, and know that I'm physical. The entire Christian faith depends on it because 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 13 says this. That there, if there is no bodily resurrection of Christ, physical bodily resurrection then we're in a pitiful religion. We're in a pitiful faith. And we are going to be pitiful too because we're not going to have a bodily resurrection either. So, and and the whole thing about the first century is that they could have destroyed Christianity if they were just produced the body. But that's not going to, that didn't happen, that's never going to happen because he ascended. 
and it was proven for 40 days. Okay. Good. The transcendence of Christ. Meaning that God, that God in essence, Father, God in essence, the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, is greater than his creation. It says, Jesus Christ created all things. Scripture says that the Holy Spirit created all things. Scripture says the Father created all things. It's the work of the Trinity. You open up the book of Genesis. In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. Elohim is El, a plural, meaning God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And what's the next verse say? And the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. And God released light, who John chapter 1 says is Jesus Christ. So you have the unfolding of the Trinity right in the first verses of Genesis. God creator, the word, the light, and the eminence of Christ. Savior, prophet, priest, king, Lord, my brother. He's made me an heir with him. Now, there are only two descriptions of Jesus in the Bible, but there are two. And they're both of the glorified Christ in Revelation chapter 1 and Revelation chapter 19. You can look those up. Why isn't there a physical description of Jesus? Well, Jesus has uh, manifest to all men. And you know, if we had an image of Jesus, you know how sheep are. We're kind of dumb sheep. We would go somewhere to worship that picture. Yep. You know, we we do our best to, if I could just see Jesus on that 8 by 10. God knows that we're kind of weak sheep, you know. Jesus is called the last Adam. He is called our advocate, our attorney. He's almighty God. He's the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. He's the angel of the Lord. He's the anointed, the Meshach, the Christos. He's anointed to give us eternal life and life here. He's our apostle of our faith, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. He is the branch, prophetic of the Christ. How did he become the branch? Well, he went to Nazareth. Nazareth means the branch, Nazir. And he fulfilled at least six prophecies in the Old Testament just by moving into town. Figure that out. He's the branch. He's the bread of life. He's the bright and morning star. He's the chief shepherd, the great shepherd, the commander of the Lord's army. He's the cornerstone to build our foundation and to stumble those who see him as an offense. He's the door. He's Emmanuel, God with us, God among us. He's Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Wonderful Counselor, Friends of Sinners. We heard even that this morning. I want to say, I want to do a sidetrack this. Know some unsaved people. Get some, have some acquaintances and relationships with unsaved people. Bring them to your cell group. Bring, bring, bring them to hear the word. You know, when I hear Christians say, well, you know what, I, I don't know any unsaved people. So, well, I'm sorry. <laughs> we all have avenues of witness. I mean, you go to the store, you go to the doctor, you go places time and time and time and time again. The, the Lord will show you that this person is lost and and don't get offended when they say, you know what, I I I, I worship the, the little beetles in Africa, <laughs> or you know I I worship the Pleiades in the stars. Whatever they come up with, don't be offended at that. 
I remember one woman said in the cell group one time, she says, when she wasn't saved, she says, well, God's my Savior, but Jesus Christ is not my Savior. I said, well, well will you come back? <laughs> and she was floored by that and said, oh, I guess so. <laughs> we need God to be out in the harvest because we need to bring in the harvest. Amen. That's what Jesus came to do. He's the gift of God, the head of the church, the high priest, the holy one of Israel. He's Yahweh, Adonai, Elohim, El Shaddai. He's the Lamb of God, the light of the world, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, and the Lamb that was slain from the foundations of the world. He's the Lord of Lords, the Master, the King of Kings. He's Mediator. He's Messiah. He's Prince, Prophet, Rabbi, Redeemer, Ransom, our Righteousness, our Rock. He's the ultimate servant of God. He's the servant in the servant songs of Isaiah. He's the Son of David, Son of Man, Son of God. S-U-N of Righteousness. He's the teacher, the way, the truth, and the life. He is the true vine. He is the word of God. He is perfect. He is the author and finisher of your faith. He is our deliverer when we got saved even to now. I want to say this about the blood of Jesus. I say it often. The blood of Jesus has never been diminished by your actions. It's never been watered down because you've been a Christian for a long time. It is powerful, as powerful as the day you got saved and said, Jesus, wash away all my sins. That blood is as powerful for you now as it ever has been in your life. It's never been watered down by any time, space, or dimension. Amen? So if you need forgiveness, know this. When He forgives you, it's like the day you got saved. Clean and fresh and ready to go. Why? Because the blood is that powerful. He is the expressed image of the Father. He is the revelation of the glory of God. He is the grace of God. He is the love of God. He is the mercy of God. He is the truth of God. He is God revealed to us as man. Therefore, He can sympathize with your weakness. He knows the temptations you go through because He's gone victorious through them. He's been through the worst conditions so that He can relate to the worst conditions of man. From birth, he was born in a cave, a mud cave, with a little straw. Nobody's born more lowly than Jesus. He can relate to anybody in birth. He can relate to sufferings of man. When Jesus came to the well in John chapter 4, he came about noon, he said to the woman, I'm thirsty, give me something to drink, draw water for me. Was he thirsty? Yes, he was. He was man, he was, a thirst. he was thirsty. He wouldn't say that just to strike up conversation. He didn't say, I'm thirsty, but not really. <laughs> he said, I'm thirsty. And then she turned a corner and said, well, why do you Jews just sort, why do you can talk to us? And he said, if you knew who it was that was asking you for water, you would ask me of the living water and you would never thirst again. He's talking about two different things. Why? Because the God-man was on the site. And God, the God-man is on site right now. And the things that 
that Satan wants to do, that Satan's only tool to you. He can't use proof and knowledge. He can't use the intellect because all these things are proven of who the Father is, who Jesus Christ is, who the Holy Spirit is. Absolute proof. But he can bring unbelief to your mind. He can bring doubt to you. And that's where the warfare comes in. Because your doubt doesn't ever change who Jesus is. But Jesus wants to come through and be all these things for you. All these things for you. You know, if you went home and wife and said, uh, I got a nice steak on the table for you, baked potato and things, and say, I, I don't believe that. I'm going to my room. I can't believe that. How ridiculous that, that is, right? We come and, oh, wow, there's steak on the table. Big, big, I told you it was there. We have a choice either to believe his word or discard it. And if you're not in the word, you are a candidate to discard it. If you're not in prayer, you're a candidate to discard the transcendent God, the imminent God. If you're not in fellowship, not in these things, you're going to be like an animal cut out of the uh, out of the herd, ready for the lions. Trish and I saw one lion kill one time, and we were coming in the car, and uh, there were three female lions on the hill, and we drove a little, drove a little further, and there were seven little cubs looking to the field, and then we saw about three or four hundred wildebeest walking and running toward the lion and the lion were walking toward the the animals and they were actually the lions were going this way and the herd was going this way these three female lions had their eye on one that they could isolate they isolated the one they took it out and then there was 18 lions there to feed on the wildebeest that's what the devil would do for, do to you. Try to isolate you. Has his eye on you. If you're running with a herd, you're going to be okay. If they can stay out of two, 300 animals, they have their eye on one. Isolate. Take them out. I don't know if you got all the academics of this morning. I really don't care. But I wanted you to meet Jesus Christ. I want you to see the power of who He is. The reality of Jesus Christ. To boost your faith. To say, He's the author and finisher of my faith. He's the one that I, I can worship. He's the one I pray to. He's the cleansing. He's the power. He's everything that I need. Now if I can get through to you on that level then this message has been worth the hours and hours of toil on my part. Let's stand. If you need Jesus Christ at this altar, I want you to come. Maybe you need to get saved. Fine. Maybe you need to get delivered. Fine. Maybe you need a fresh commitment. Fine. Maybe you need a revelation of the glorified Christ. But come. Meet Jesus. I can confidently say here that Jesus will meet you. Come. Come. Come on. Come meet Jesus. Come give him what you need. You're full of Christ, right? You're overcomers. 
everything's working for you. Faith. I mean, you're good with your with the power of God that's within you. That's why you're standing there. I'm saying if you're not, and you don't have enough fullness, I want you to come. I need more of Jesus. Even the hymnists and the hymnologists say, I want Jesus more and more and more. I need more of Jesus, more and more and more. Let's make room for the others because you need more of Jesus. Now, I can tell you by the Spirit of the Lord, those that really need to come are not coming. But I'm, I'm pleading with you to come. Those of you that really need this altar call, please, please answer it. Please come. Jesus, pour out the revelation of your spirit, revelation of who you are. Let's make room for Let's make room for Brian. Let's make room for Bubba here. The revelation of who Jesus is. He's the author and finisher of your faith. He's the bright and morning star. He's the light of the world. He is the anointed one to anoint you. The Mashiach, the anointed. Come meet Jesus. Come meet Jesus. Come meet Jesus. Come meet meet Jesus. Lord Jesus, come. Open up your hearts to receive. Dedicate your life. Forsake the world. Got to renounce the world. Take up your cross. Follow me, Jesus said. If you're not willing to deny yourself, you cannot be my disciples. Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. Repent. Repent. And let Him fill you. Lay down your life and let Him fill you. Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus. You know that... God is just waiting to hear our cry.